Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is July 28th, 2021, and this is episode 325. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, well, we'll show that we're fully recovered from the bevies, and we'll go around the bases this week in Orioles baseball. We'll also look back at the draft, um, and we'll wonder out loud what exactly we just saw, and... um, you know, what's transpiring with some of the signings that have occurred to date? And we'll do that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, G and T. Great. Simple as that. Yeah. And I, I watched Hendrix go into that glass and I'm jealous. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm going through I'm going through a phase, Scott. A midlife crisis. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going through a thing and I, I need you just to accept me. Okay. Um I'm this drink- is the 38th moose knuckle that you are drinking <laughs> at this point. Uh, I, I'm going through a, a sour, a fruit sour thing. Uh, a good friend of ours, Josh, turned me on to a uh, beer called Combat Wombat uh, this past weekend. A fantastic beverage by Rogue. Uh, it encouraged me to pick up this. This is a raspberry sour ale from Winding Path. I would call this only okay, but... Not bad enough to deter me from my sour journey. I'm on a journey, Scott. You are definitely on a journey, a, 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 a an era of um, renaissance, as it were, in terms of just figuring out it. So, um, yeah, props to you um, is, is the best way to put it. So, uh, if you want to know what we're following on, drinking on Untapped, um, I'm at MEG at 8606. I'm at Jake E4025. Uh, and with that, um, let's go on over into the medical wing. Time for your checkup, time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. <laughs> it's okay if you giggle. All right, so starting us off in the medical wing, um, you know, nothing too big, I guess. Um, Freddie Galvis, you know, still injured. Um, He's going to be starting a rehab assignment in the next few days. I guess that's good. Um, Yeah, I guess that's good. I mean, it'd be great to see Freddie Galvis back. Um, I kind of thought he was done for the season, personally. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it's fine. Um, Anthony Santander is still dealing with issues, continually getting hurt. Keegan Aiken, hurt as well. Tyler Wells, hurt. Wait a second. Like, who actually is available here at this given moment? Jemai Jones. Oh, Jemai Jones is available. Um, to, to pitch. Chris Davis is still out for the season. Um, Hunter Harvey is uh, continuing on with his rehab assignments. Okay. Um, I mean, at, at what point do we just call this the Hunter Harvey wing? Um, because it feels like every single time I turn around – Hunter Harvey is is on here. Yeah. Yeah. It's really frustrating. It is super frustrating, but I will take my own advice okay. from this week. I'm going to take my own medicine here, and I'm going to try not to judge the player for this situation, right? Can't, can't get on Do the field. Do you know how this podcast works? <laughs> he can't get on the field. It's super frustrating. 
but it's just the way it is, right? Uh, no malice towards hum- Hunter Harvey, but it is super frustrating that that arm is not available. Very, very frustrating. And again, um, very frustrating to see a top draft pick, in essence, um, end up in, in that given aspect. So, whoa, 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 whoa. A little early in the show to be discussing draft picks, sir. Uh, Watch just, the show notes. I'm just talking Dan Duquette uh, <laughs> prospects, as it were. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. But like I said... Nothing too serious at this given time. Just something for us to kind of watch out and just see what's currently going on with rehab assignments and you know, seeing where when some of your favorite players might be playing in Bowie or Norfolk in the near future. You know who I miss this season? Who do you miss? Richie Martin. Do you really miss Richie Martin? Look at the problems we've had in the middle infield. Don't you think I wanted to see him also fail this season? He does bang. He bangs. He does. Oh, baby. He grooves. He grooves. Oh, great. Derek, that joke is specifically for you. Absolutely. All right. Um, outside of the medical wing, two new characters less this week on the Twitters. Um, I'll start us off. Um, this next one comes from uh, Verified Massimum Rock. I don't see the blue check mark here. This is really weird. Um, yeah, it's really weird. Um, Trey Mancini has been removed from tonight's lineup and is said to be very emotional in the clubhouse. He's on the move, Orioles fans. Hashtag Birdland. Why did Rock change his things for t- from Massum, Massum to Massum? This is the worst time of year. This is the worst time of year. This is worse than uh, April 1st. You got to be very careful when you read. My thanks to so many other people that that uh, quote tweeted this and said, ah, you almost had me because it, it, uh, it saved me from also falling into the pit. I want to take a look at an issue... There were so many tweets. There were so many opinions about it. I want to take a, a look at a, at a weird aspect of this. Uh, this has to do with the uh, team from Cleveland announcing their their name change. Uh, starting next year, they will be the Cleveland Guardians. Here's a tweet from Dan Lust, who tweets at Sports Law Lust. What's worse, not Googling Cleveland Guardians or so, uh, assuming that your local roller derby team would just bend the knee? Exclusive rulers at con detrimental dug into the trademark filings. It appears that David is not surrendering to Goliath without a fight. And there's a link. This is what I can gather. There is a local men's roller derby team that's been in existence since 2011 that has the name and has the um, URL for Cleveland guardians. And they're apparently holding onto it because they want to get paid. There are so many interesting things going on with his name change. First of all, there's the issue itself, right? The issue that there's a men's roller derby team in Cleveland? <laughs> yes. Can we just talk about that? Um, no. I I think uh, that the reason that Washington still has a football team called the football team is that they are still working through trademark and uh, you know web rights and all that kind of good stuff for their chosen Legal name. and business aspects. And they're just trying to to wait until those current holders just die or they can choke them out through the courts or whatever that's my own personal theory maybe uh maybe they just want to sell enough merchandise with the one name so they can whatever where in reality there isn't any roller derby leagues in the greater dc metropolitan area this this is hilarious yeah um, I, I, I'm curious, what did you think when you saw the announcement that the Cleveland Indians would become the Cleveland Guardians? Um, honestly, it was, it was, it was, just seemed very generic to me. Um, 
you know, I, I was actually kind of hoping for spiders, uh, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, that was my pull. Um, so, like, Guardians was fine. I thought the intro announcement with, like, Tom Hanks reading it over, I don't know. It just seemed kind of, I don't know, blah is the best way to put it. And like I said, I'm not against it. Um, I think it's actually great that, you know, the Cleveland organization is moving on from their former name. But it's going to take me some time, just like how sometimes I slip back and say Devil Rays as opposed to Rays. Like, <laughs> it's going to take me some time. So I think this is kind of like you hear a song for the first time on the radio, and you're just like, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But then when you hear it another three times or four times, you're just like, I either like that or don't like it. I think this will resonate with me eventually. But first out of the gate, it was a little, little eh to me. So I hear that. Um, I feel like my opinion doesn't matter because I'm not from Cleveland, right? The rest of us, we don't care. What are you talking about? We have a football team from them. <laughs> That's true. Secondhand Clevelanders. Uh, so we don't, we don't get a vote, right? We don't, we don't have to care one way or the other. I hope that the Cleveland fans uh, can stomach this one. I hope it's okay. I, I saw a really interesting note from Paul Lucas, who, of course, writes uh, the UniWatch blog. Um, and after he discussed the logo and aesthetic of the word mark and the, the uniforms that are expected, um, he had this, this little postscript at the end of his, his post, and I just want to read it real quick. He says, to longtime Indian fans, I realize that this is hard for you. I totally get the emotional connection that forms between fans and their favorite team's visual identity. Hell, that connection is a big part of why UniWatch exists. So I understand that you may be mourning a bit about the name change, even if you were in favor of it happening, please accept my condolences. I feel for you. And I, I think that's kind of mm-hmm. where I come down on this. Uh, I'm super glad it happened. I think it's fantastic. I think that I hope that, uh, the people of Cleveland, uh, get the reference, appreciate the reference, feel like it's their own and can support this at some point. And for everybody that feels like a piece of their childhood or a piece of their fandom has has been squashed, I kind of get that. And, you know, my condolences. Turn the page. Go Cleveland Guardians. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's the big thing is it's just turning the page and moving on um, with the future. However, if this roller derby team beats a major league uh, team in, in court... I will never stop laughing. Uh, zero chance. They'll get a nice payout um, and, and probably some season tickets for life. Um, but yeah. All right. Let's stick with sports aesthetics. I'm going to pull out a tweet from Luke Jones. He, of course, tweets at Baltimore Luke. The Orioles are again wearing their alternate black jerseys for tonight's game. I'd like those much better if they ditch the O's caps that go with them. Hashtag fashion tweets. Yes, Luke, this is the correct opinion. It's the correct opinion. Scotty, the Orioles' ditch tradition went with three straight games while they had the hot hand playing with the black jerseys. What do you think? I'm actually not a fan of the black jerseys. I do wish that they had won on the Saturday instead and just stuck with the orange kits. Yeah, I'm I'm really more of a fan of the orange kits and then the traditional white slash gray. Um, The black uniforms just don't do it for me. I'm sorry. I I like them. I just hate the hats. I I hate the, the hats are in a completely different category. So, like, I may not like the black uh, uniforms, but the O's hats um, need to be cast into the sun with Abaldo Jimenez, Kevin Gregg, and uh, Michael Gonzalez. You know what they remind me of? What does that remind you of? They remind you. They remind me of the kind of logo you would see on a men's roller derby team. Uh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. All right. Uh, our next tweet comes from, let's see. Oh, it comes from Joe Do- Treza. Um, and uh, he's got some draft numbers for us to kind of talk about. And we're going to get into this a little bit later in the show, too. Um, the Orioles have uh, signed their 14th rounder, Daniel Lloyd. Um, so all told, the Orioles now are at $11.67 million of their $11.83 million bonus pool, um, or about 98.6%. Um, and um, yeah, like I said, they've uh, they've signed a lot is the best way to describe it. We're going to go through that with some of the numbers, figure out where they kind of underslotted and overslotted. But yeah, um, they're cheap, right? They're absolutely cheap. There's no question about that. Just so, saving money. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think, darn Angelos's. think the Orioles are going to get really close to 100%. And again, they can even go to 105% if they need to. Um, I, I don't think they're going to need to based off the picks that are there. Um, but yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, it's almost like the Orioles are doing what they're supposed to be doing. What? I know. All right, well, that conversation sounds interesting, so we should not have it now. Absolutely, but we should save it for later. This is what they call an industry, a teaser, and we'll come back for that. Are we in the industry? Uh, definitely not. If we were in the industry, uh, Major League Baseball would definitely nuke our site and our, nuke our podcast. Are these accounts and descriptions? Now, this is the Bird's Eye View, the unofficial Baltimore Roller Derby podcast that you turn into on a weekly basis. <laughs> there have got to be Roller Derby podcasts out there. I do not think there is a single Roller Derby podcast out there. We need to find a Cleveland Guardians Roller Derby podcast mm. and talk to them. So you know who we know about Roller Derby podcast? Charlie Hoppus would know all about Roller Derby podcast. So we'll reach out to him and... Uh, we'll get the bad phone going. Yeah, we'll, we'll, he'll get us situated. Uh, well, with that, uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, stretch out after we haven't talked since the All-Star break uh, and go around the bases and uh, figure out what's going on with the Baltimore Orioles. Scotty, we took a week off to real life for a little while, but uh, before we did, we dropped a couple of episodes, including the ninth annual Bevies. Bevies, uh, yeah, they were, they were something this year. They were something. Labor of love. They were. They always are a labor of love. First and foremost, we just have to thank everybody involved, uh, to everybody that contributed. Thank you so much. Um, I may have said some things, Scott. I may have said some you? things. You? And uh, one of the things that I said related to starting pitching. So at first base, let's go ahead and start with starting pitching. I said some things about Matt Harvey that were, at the time, incredibly appropriate. I And that opinion was shared by many people. I, I, I may have said that he was deserving of winning the Brian Mattis Ice Flow Award. Yep. That we should put him on an ice flow. Yep. And push him off into the sea. And wave as he drifted off into the horizon. Which, again, I'm perfectly fine for coming into the All-Star break. Um, you know, I'm much more of a Viking funeral power power guy. Like, I just want to push him out there and then pull the arrow back and just light it on fire. But it's The end of Return of the Jedi. No, I mean, I understand. Ice flow, you're all about it. You know, save the world. You know, global warming, yada, yada, yada. Um, me, I'm, I'm about the dramatic uh, exit uh, from this world. Some men just like to watch the world burn. Absolutely. But since that happened, Matt Harvey has been a somewhat useful pitcher. He's had two, count them, two, two 
decent starts. He has had two decent starts. These were six innings each. In that time, he gave up four hits, issued a walk, and did not issue an earned run. Is that allowed? I did not think it was possible. Matt Harvey had two. 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 Back to back. Consecutive. Hmm. Decent starts. Hmm. Interesting. I I don't know what's happening there. I, I hope that he can continue having them more frequently. What do you make of the fact that Matt Harvey, who has been weapons-grade terrible, has had two good starts? Um, I think it's great that he's had two great starts right before the trade deadline, but... <laughs> um, too little too late for that. But in all honesty, you know, I look at the stats for the past two games of the case per nine, the walks per nine, the BABIP and everything like that too. And like I said, he managed to, in essence, pitch around things is the best way to put it. But uh, it's kind of similar to what we said earlier in the season where the numbers don't really show that it's sustainable for a longer period of time. So, yeah, it's great. But let's not get all excited too quickly. I am not excited. I will say, though, that it would be nice to see him. How many continue. years have we talked about this on Bird's Eye View? Like, a ball to Jimenez. Hey, he just put together two games really nicely. Like, what if he gets it together for the end of the season? Oh, wait. Oh, Brian Mattis. He did a really good job of coming in this game and kind of closing it out. Oh, no. So, um, disaster is imminent. <laughs> um, we should be prepared for it. I think the best thing we can hope from the Matt Harvey experience is that we get an occasional flicker of decent starts to the point where he can help save the bullpen from absolutely imploding. That makes sense. I mean, Jake, it's it's a pretty straightforward standpoint looking at um, Harvey's numbers, how he pitched and stuff that there, and I just look at it and saying. You know, Harvey is either going to die a hero or he's going to live long enough to become a villain. <laughs> I can't believe you did that with a straight face. You looked me right in the eye, and I thought that there was going to be analysis coming. Nope. Well done, Scotty. Nope. All right. Uh, Not with Matt Harvey. <laughs> let's move on. Staying at first base and starting pitching, let's talk about John Means. Yeah. It's been a little up and down. Yeah. Since his comeback, his first start was five innings pitched, gave up seven earned runs. Yeah. Uh, his second start, uh, a little bit better. He pitched into the seventh inning, uh, 6.2. Again, up and down. He retired at one point 14 of 15 batters. He also hit three guys, and he gave up that uh, three-run home run yep. that uh, allowed the Nats to come storming back, and he left the game trailing uh, 4-3. Of course, the, the Orioles ended up coming back and winning that game. What do you make of John Means? Yeah, I was watch I was actually at this game with the Sun and I was watching it. Um yeah, John definitely is still having some command issues and getting a feel for it. Um I was really encouraged in that second start to see him get stretched out, um, go deeper into the game, get up his pitch count. Um, because even that first game, he was on a pitch count. Can't don't believe he was able to go past 70 pitches. Um so yeah, I mean, I don't like the numbers as it relates from an earned run standpoint. Um, I would also say, too, I think the second game, he got squeezed a little bit, honestly. Um, it was a really kind of conservative strike zone um, by the umpire. Um, John Means is a good-looking dude. I'd squeeze him. So, I mean, it was interesting watching Means, like, pitch during that game for the second game. Like, he would come inside one time, and then he wouldn't get the corner. Mm -hmm. um, and then he would go outside and try to get the corner out there and wouldn't get it either way. Um, so I think he was trying the right stuff. I think it was just 
he wasn't getting where he wanted to be. And again, it was close. They were probably balls regardless. So I do think there is rust there more so than there is, you know, a grand conspiracy against him. Um, Perkinolo's dose. But, you know, looking at it, I think if he can get his control back in the next, we'll call it two two to three starts, mm-hmm. um, I, I think I have no issues at this point. Um, I think he's oh, he's okay. Do you think that it's just rust and not something like, oh, these are his first starts back after the uh, illegal substance rules? I think this is just rust. I think this is, you know, even when he was doing the minor league baseball rehab that you went and saw, it wasn't like he was really going out there and, you know, pitching a long time and stuff like that, too. Um, I think he's just getting back used to it. Um, like I said, let's come back in three starts. Um, and after five starts, let's take a look at it and be like, all right, did something change? But for the time being, no, I'm, I'm not worried about this. Scott, are you? Yeah. Scott Magnus, are you saying that's too small a sample size I'm, for us to judge? I'm saying it is it's so out of character for a, you. a micro sample size. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So John means he's probably fine. Uh, also looking at the rest of the rotation, you and I run a weekly, occasionally, yeah, Orioles podcast. Yep. We have to pay attention to some aspects of this team. Yep. We have to be in some way plugged in. Yep. I feel like at any given point in the season, if you were to say to me, Jake, quick, name the current Orioles starting rotation. I would, that's easy. I could say John Means, Matt Harvey, and, um... I think Jorge Lopez is still pitching. It gets difficult. It, it? It, well, it, and exactly. That's one. Like, as much as we give Matt Harvey grief, it is the aspect of, like, you can go to those two. And yeah. Then, I mean, and then you're like, all right, is that person actually injured? Or is, like, he's still, like, in AAA? Like, how does this work? So give, give Matt Harvey credit. He's eaten up two to three innings every time. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> but right now, this week, the Orioles got starts from Harvey means Lopez, which you correctly identified, Spencer Watkins, and Alex Wells. Uh, it'll be interesting to see who gives the Orioles innings here throughout. I'm, I'm interested to see which of these guys can be fifth starters in the league, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't think anybody, you know, outside of maybe John Means, it has a has a future from what we've seen that says that they're going to be anything but a back of the rotation guy. And which of these guys are going to be, you know, the next Brad Brock, Jim Johnson, you know, Tommy Hunter, who, whoever. Important, important mm-hmm. pieces of the next winning club. Failed starters are not failed baseball players. Yep. Right? Um, so, I, you know, I'm watching who's got the velocity, who's got the control, who's got that one wipeout pitch that's good enough to get through one time of the rotation or three, you know, t- two innings tops. Uh, those are those are important things. Um, but, you know, the rotation is going to be a patchwork for the rest of the season. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a really interesting um, scenario, too, kind of looking at where the Orioles stand because, you know, we talk about how good the depth is right now from a pitching standpoint um, within the organization. But then if you actually take a look at um, the 40-man roster as it relates to currently pitchers that they could pull up, and it's kind of meh mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to see someone like Keegan Aiken again pop up. Um, we may see someone like, um, I don't even know, like there isn't much. Like you just go through the roster and there isn't much like Connor Green, um, Sean Anderson. 
Um, does Adam Plutko get another start, like a, a spot start? Maybe, but no. I mean, I it it, it just kind of comes back to this thing of like there isn't very many people. I mean, the other only other folks that you have are like Spencer Watkins and Alexander Wells there. Um, so I don't know. Like I don't know what else they're going to do. Like um, I need ten more starts from Tom Eshelman. And I think it introduces another thing of like you've got a few players like Hunter Harvey, uh, for example. That is on the 10-day IL and maybe a few other folks. At what point do some of these individuals go onto the 60-day IL and does another 40-man roster spot open up? Whether that be for a pitcher and or somebody else. Bum, bum, bum. Um, we'll see what happens. But like I said, there isn't anybody um, right now on the 40-man roster that is extremely like, wow, I want to see them come up to Baltimore um, in August and or September in pitch for us right now true very true all right let's take us into second base scotty what's going on in second yeah so um you know big deal um the Masson cup returns to baltimore i pretty much wrote this off when the orioles lost uh three games um earlier this season i was just like nope it's not gonna happen this we knew year. it was over yeah. it's gonna be over we might as well just start shipping it down there Put some fencing around the Masson Cup down there so it doesn't get, you know, stolen or destroyed. This is the end. This is the end as it is. So, um, at, but lo and behold, the Orioles surprise all of us and sweep the Nationals at home. Um, so, yeah, good good for them. Um, and it's a really interesting standpoint of, like, you know, the Nationals came in that series basically having to win it outright in order to still kind of have a thought process of, like, well, maybe we compete in the NL East. Um, and I'm going to come back around to the NL East in just a second. Um, and, and the Orioles, in essence, ended that. Um, and it kind of raises the question, like, Scherzer's now is in his his walk season, so that's kind of coming up. The fact that Trey Turner is actually being talked about as a trade ship is just mind-boggling. It also makes me feel super old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's 28 years old, and I remember when he actually came into the league. Right. Um, so uh, it, it kind of does look like an end of an era. Um and that attitude is coming to an end. And even, you know, Zimmerman, for example, who, again, hit that three-run homer for John Means, you have to think that he's starting to get there to the age point where it's just like, all right, we need to, in essence, go into changing what this organization is going to look like. It'll be interesting to see the Nats, you know, rebuild or, or whatever. Um, and it'll also be interesting to see that happen next to the Orioles. Sure. You know, trying to become relevant again, too. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see um, uh, how the Orioles do. I mean, I, I think of, to myself of, like, how the Orioles would do in the NL East um, versus some of those other teams. I mean, the, the Nationals, you know, you know, haven't been very good all this season. And the fact that, you know, they were able to do it, uh, it it'll be interesting to me this, just to see, you know, how fans do from a loyalty standpoint between choosing the Nationals or choosing the Orioles um, and whether division matters um, in, in that grand scape of things. Are you hoping that Orioles fans don't develop natitude? I'm hoping that Orioles fans enjoy Nashville in a few seasons. I, I think I think with enough mask mandates, we can avoid catching the natitude. Absolutely. Uh, so let's go to third base. Let's talk trade deadline. Um, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, there's a there's a trade deadline on uh, Friday, uh, July 30th at 4 p.m. Really. Um, for Major League Baseball. For Major League Baseball. And we get to participate in that if we want to? Absolutely. So 
uh, every single other podcast in the world, CBS Radio, anybody who can talk about something um, right after the All-Star break uh, is talking about who are the Orioles going to trade? Like, are people interested in the Orioles, folks? Um, and Scott, Scott, who are the Orioles going to trade? They're going to trade nobody. It's as simple as that. Well, that's not a fun answer. Well, I mean, yeah, you can't write much of a column about it, but the truth of the matter is the truth, which is they're not going to trade anybody. And even if they do trade someone, it's not going to be anyone of significant value. <sighs> Scott, Scott, look, I know, I know. You want to use your brain. Dial, cool. d- dial down my attitude. You, you just, you look, turn that off. Just sit okay. there and be pretty. If there's no story, mm-hmm. we'll write one. Mm, I like that. So you don't think that the Orioles do... Hey, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> you don't think the Orioles do anything at the trade deadline? Uh, I don't think they do anything at the trade deadline. Um, what uh, What about Trey Mancini? Uh, yeah, people are saying that the Orioles are listening to offers for Trey Mancini. Um, yeah, people are saying that they're listening to trade offers for Trey Mancini. Um, but yeah, it's not going to happen. No one is going to offer enough for Trey Mancini, nor is Trey Mancini ever going to leave at this point. It It's the one situation in which the player is literally more valuable to the Orioles than to any other team. A- absolutely. And again, it just doesn't make sense. It just, it's as simple as that. It just doesn't make sense in the, in the scheme of things of like, why do it? And I know some people have said, well, Trey is coming up into a walk season next year. So like, you don't want to have the same situation like it happened to Manny Machado. Trey Mancini is not Manny Machado, not even close to being as good as Manny Machado. So let's not even put that out there. Trey Mancini could at this moment pull in a number eight, maybe number 10 prospect. So a Jemai Jones, uh, maybe a little bit better than Jemai Jones, but not much better. Let's go that far. Um, so somebody we wouldn't use anyway. I mean, you take a look at what the, what the Adam Frazier trade is a great example of you know what I would expect to get for someone like a Trey Mancini at this given moment. So, um, you know, even um, the trade that went through today uh, with Joey Gallo being traded uh, to the New York Yankees, um, I just don't think that Trey Mancini is really that valuable. Can you imagine if the Orioles would have traded Trey Mancini to the New York Yankees? Like, do you can you imagine like? <laughs> the pandemonium that would have occurred. Well, there would be no shortage of things to talk about. There'd be no shortage of things to talk about, but it's not going to happen. Um, you know, rock has talked about, you know, Ma- fo- Massim rock, Massim rock, Massim, Massim, um, about, uh, the Phillies and other teams looking at Paul Fry, Tanner Scott, looking at those bullpen arms. But let's be honest. Like if, if Fry or Scott get traded again, it's not going to be for anybody that is a great prospect. Um, and I would expect more of Elias to take more of a shotgun approach, um, just like he has in the past. Maybe some uh, international teenagers. Uh, there's no question in my mind that international teenagers are always on the platter. <laughs> Can you, are we not doing phrasing? No, we're not anymore? doing phrasing. <laughs> Michael Elias just licks his lips. Stop it. Thinking about teenage boys. No? I I regret everything about what just happened. This segment is brought to you by Catholic Charities in Baltimore. <laughs> We also wouldn't, we also wouldn't really miss Fryer Scott. No, like I know Paul Fry's above average, but uh, no. If the Orioles don't miss these guys, nobody else needs. Them. I, I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. And again, Tanner Scott makes no sense to me from a control standpoint for our playoff team. Um, other names out there: Cole Salser. Again, I don't even know why he's on the Orioles at this moment. Um, Anthony Santander. 
again, he's always injured. So, like, what team would take that risk? I just don't. There's nobody of value that I'd say like makes a a significant impact um, to a playoff team. I mean, let's come back and address the elephant in the room. Let's talk about 2014. Let's talk Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller was a talent that you knew when you got him, this was going to make a significant impact um, on the organization by him coming in there. In Trader Way to Eduardo Rodriguez, which again was yours, like, oh, I don't really want to do that, but it's Andrew Miller. There is nobody on this team that is in that caliber. It's not going to happen. So don't even think that you're going to get someone like an Eduardo Rodriguez onto this team. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I, frankly, I don't expect the Orioles to make any moves. I don't think making any moves. I don't think it's making he, the one move I think they might make is like someone that is like designated for assignment after the trade deadline or like pass through waivers or something weird like that. Here's, here's an intriguing player. Um, as far as I'm concerned, this is a player who's <clears throat> versatile. Uh, he can play the infield. He can play the outfield. He can come in to pitch occasionally. This player has in the past been one of the dominant left-handed power hitters in the AL. Um, He's had uh, a monstrous season uh, under his belt. All right, so you could be talking about two people here. Mm -hmm. You could be talking about Chris Davis, or you could be talking about Steve Wilkerson, and I can't tell. Uh, Well, I mean, I think either one of those guys, uh, Chris Davis, uh, can be had for a steal. Absolutely. Had for a steal, absolutely. We will pay you to take him off our hands. What does it say about this organization that Chris Davis is not worse than many more of our trade chips? (laughs) Yeah, and uh, you know, I think if like someone like Freddie Galvis was still like not yeah. hurt, I think that's a total. I think this is a totally different conversation. Iglesias two point Yeah, I think exactly. I think this is a totally different conversation going into this trade deadline. But no, you have nobody. Like you have nothing. Like you might get something back if they do a trade. It's going to be for nothing. It's going to be for a bag of balls, um, or it's going to be for some teenage prospects that you know Jake English is very interested in. All right, we're going to steer away from teenage prospects and we're going to slide into home plate. Okay. Scotty, I want to talk to you about the unlimited ballpark pass. Yeah, the Baltimore Orioles. <clears throat> they're trying a thing. I don't know if this is a thing that makes sense. Yep. I don't know if it's a thing that's going to work for them, but they're trying a thing. They're trying a thing where they're trying to tell you for forty dollars per month. In the months of August and the month of September, you can you can spend forty dollars and come to every single home game in that month for standing room only, general admission access. I can't tell, so Scott, I need you to to break the tie here. Is this a smart thing the team is doing, and is there a market for people that might actually buy this thing? So I can think of people that would be willing to buy standing room tickets, which generally. 20 year olds are going to want to basically do this all the time. I just don't think the value's there. Like, I just don't see it. Like, $40 per month for standing room only, like, seems like a lot of money. I hear you. Yeah. I have a theory. Okay. So, $40, the, the cheapest seat in the house right now is 15 bucks, right? Yes. So, the break even point for this is to do this more than three times in the month. Now, does this count off like going only two innings like Matt Harvey normally does? Or like, how does this work? (laughs) Just to get into the park. Okay. If you do this four times, you have supposedly saved money. Here's where my theory comes in. Okay. I think for the month of August and September, the Orioles have informed their event staff that there is an understanding. Gotcha. 
which is we're not going to bother anybody in the seats. So it's Hamsterdam is what you're telling me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think the Orioles have decided we're going to try to entice people into the park mm-hmm. so that it doesn't look so darn empty. Right. So that we can get them to spend money on concessions. Mm-hmm. And maybe squeeze a few extra dollars out of a lost season, out of a historically bad season. I, I hear you. And again, I think the Orioles have been trying to do this with like the Trey Mancini promotion for the Jim Palmer bobblehead. Um, I think they tried it today with a two for 12 for the Orioles Hall of Fame game. I get it. Like they, they're pulling out the stops for the promotions to try to get people into the stadium. Um, and this is not a new thing. Like we, we've seen this before in 2012 when the team was really good. Um, the Orioles did a 1992 ticket promotion and they were trying to get people into the San Jose. Like, I get it. I just still don't think this makes sense from an economic value standpoint. If it is truly the standpoint of it's open and you can go sit wherever you want, that's a whole different ballgame. But I feel like there has to be some ground rules. Like, even if we return to the wire in Amsterdam, there were certain ground rules that were present of like, you can do this, but you can't do this. So, like, why not just say from section 350 over, you can sit wherever you want. Like, we are in essence going to go back and tell folks, if you have those seats, they are general mission tickets. You can sit in any other section. Um, if you have those seats, it's first come, first serve. And just go from there. I bet you, I bet you there is a certain series of sections, mm-hmm. basically from the edge of the dugout to the edge of the dugout, mm-hmm. where ushers will come and ask for your ticket. Yep. And if you don't have one, yep, they'll say... You can't sit here. Have you noticed there's a lot of empty seats over to your right? Yeah. <laughs> I just think back to previous years when we have snuck down to section seven or eight or something like that and still being told by the ushers like, hey, do you have a ticket here? And it's like, it's the seventh inning. There's nobody sitting here. What's the harm? Um, and it's just like... It's a dean. It's just I don't know. Like I said, I I appreciate the optimism, and like I said, I'm not used to that from Jake English. I guess I'm being the negative Nancy here, um, and uh, I'm I'm just saying I just don't think it's going to work out. Let's put it to the listeners. Yeah, listeners, whether or not you buy this forty dollar uh, bribe to come into the ballpark or not, let us know if you have any interactions with the ushers in which they say, "Show me your papers." And if they do... Papers. <laughs> Papers. No ticket. No um, ticket. If if they do, I feel like they're missing an opportunity. And, and Scott, I know that we've talked about it incessantly. I don't want to go too far down this, but right now, yep. the policy is oh. no outdoor No food. food, no drink. You can bring a clear beverage into the park. So just, again, reminder, if you've got tickets, you can bring one bottle of water that's sealed into the park. So highly recommend doing that. But or or a Home Depot bucket of relish. Or Home Depot bucket of relish. <laughs> if you work for the team. Correct. But the fact that you can't bring food or drink into the ballpark is going to be a limitation for some folks. I mean, it's going to cost you um at least ten to fifteen dollars per person. I mean, if you just go get a hot dog right now, just a regular hot dog, it's going to be six or seven bucks. And then you're going to have to get a soda with it. So that's another four or five bucks. So again, it's it's this aspect of you have to start accounting for that and saying, if you want people to come out to the stands and spend money, how are you going to equate it and make it 
as reasonable as possible for them. Um, and I just don't see it. I, I, I hear you, and I don't think you're wrong. What I will say is, you and I are old men who live out in the suburbs. Yes. And if this we are very privileged. If, like, we have no issues here. If this policy had had come out, if this deal had come out when I was living in Pigtown. Oh, yeah. I mean. It'd be different. Yeah. It'd be different. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, like I It might have cost me my marriage, but I would have bought it. Right. Like I said, we went on Sunday again. $30 for two tickets, um, and then we probably spend $40 worth of food. So it's $70 for Oof. two people. Um, I mean, for me, I didn't even bat an eye. Like, I was just like, okay, it is what it is. Um, but for some people, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's yeah. a lot of money. So um, I think the, the Orioles really need to reconsider this. Um, I honestly also think they just, you know, in the current market they are in with the rebuild and everything like that, I also think they really need to take a serious consideration of like, does an arrangement with Delaware North actually make sense? It's as simple as that. Like that is a very old school philosophy of having to have someone out there, but does, is Delaware North really necessary in a modern day ballpark? Can I take a a huge tangent to the right? Sure. Huge tangent. Welcome to bird's eye view. Before 2012 happened. Yeah. And the Orioles won again. Yeah. Late into the dark ages, I had a I had a a fantasy. Okay. In which I, you know, won several lotteries, um, discovered an oil well in my backyard. Oh, so you were like uh the Beverly Hillbillies, yeah, basically. I, I had enough money to buy the Baltimore Orioles. Okay. And if I had So you knew Tom Clancy. If, if I had owned the Orioles, I would have restored ticket prices to the last year that the Orioles had a winning record mm. until they won again. Yeah. I think that's what the Orioles should do. Mm. Now, of, of course, the last winning season they had was, what, uh, 2016? 2016. So we're not turning the clock back very far. But I think it would be super cool yep. if the every time the Orioles had a losing uh, season, yep. they had to turn ticket prices back to the last time they won. Yeah, and again, I come back to this basis of... Um, I was actually having a conversation with um, the Ironbirds uh, and one of their representatives, and we were talking about food and, and catering and just talking about some of the issues that are going on with COVID-19 and everything like that, too, um, which are obvious to all of us and stuff like that, and it's only going to get potentially worse. But, like, I think about the aspect of what Baltimore is trying to become. Man, wouldn't it be great to be, like, kick Delaware North out there? You've got, what, one, two, three. You've got, what, 20 stands, we'll call it, within the stadium. Why not basically offer those to 20 local startups and say, hey, we're going to have local startups basically be in there willing to start their business and uh, go out there? Yeah, you can't do catering, which is a big deal in the in the club out, club suite standpoint. But, man, if you want to pull in a new generation, man, that'd be a really great way to pull in a new generation and also support a local business aspect as well as it relates to the Baltimore locations. It would be a complete dichotomy and change but again i think ultimately this just comes back down to sponsorships and deals with pepsi or coke or everybody else anheuser-busch is going to trump this but the orders really want to do something cool um that would be really neat and i think it'd be really interesting for the local economy so yeah in short in short you don't think this thing is going to work uh, what I'm saying is I don't think it's going to work. Um, what I'm saying is we need to give every individual a plot of land. 
Uh, we need to share our resources accordingly. And, um, yeah, everything's going to go out perfectly fine. It's going to be utopia. How much land does man need? Absolutely. That come, that has come up way too many way times this season. <laughs> all right. We have made it it's all the like way. we're waiting for Godot. <laughs> in it all the way around the bases. Let's take a quick break yeah. and remind ourselves how little we know about the MLB draft and come back and expose ourselves. All right, now, Scott, as I understand it, Major League Baseball uh, has a draft every year. That is correct. In which every team can add amateur talent to their organization. Mm-hmm. And um, that is the level of my expertise. Okay. So, despite the fact Per that, the Supreme Court ruling, are college players still considered as amateur talent? Ooh. Despite the fact that you nailed the number one pick perfectly yes i'm going to remind everybody that we are not experts at the ml mlb draft we are barely experts as it relates to major league baseball and or the baltimore orioles or just decent music choices we're barely podcasters barely um i I would argue that nobody can really be an expert at the mlb draft because it's a crapshoot but been doing a lot of reading i've seen a lot of publications grade the orioles out at like a b minus okay for their draft again that doesn't matter they have to spill ink Right. Here's what we know about the Orioles draft. We talked earlier in the show about the fact that they've spent the money. Yep. Right. They 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 were given a pool. They used it. Ninety eight point ninety eight point six percent. Um. They got they got a pretty good player with their number one pick. From there, I, th- I think it's interesting. The, the Orioles went heavy on college hitters in the early rounds, which is really consistent with what I would call, at this point, organizational approach. Correct. Elias has made it his business to go get um, college hitters that, you know, that is something that they're comfortable with. Again, whether that be that they have um, faith in those organizations the way they develop, or faith in those organizations as those organizations use analytics, right? Or if they think that the college game is something that they can work with, yeah. Once think, they get this, I think it's also looking at certain swing planes, looking at certain you know bad above velocities that are coming out. I mean, I think this is a very statistically oriented aspect of applying a very um, conservative statistical model to say we're going to in essence select these ten folks and maybe two of them work out right. um, is the best way to describe it from a correlation basis. So, yeah, Elias has wood. Um, he just really likes likes it. No, he's got ping. No, he's got wood. He looks at the teenage boys that he's drafting. And... <laughs> you, you're in the penalty box. That's two for the episode <laughs> in the penalty box. So he got Colton Kowser. So we the... can call this episode Teenage Wood, right? No. A hundred percent not. He, uh, he got Colton Kowser with the number one pick. The pick I'm really interested in mm-hmm. is the number two. And just like Gunnar Henderson, yep. I really wonder if the number two pick is going to be the steal of this draft. In Connor Norby, this is somebody that, you know, once the pick was made, people were paying attention to that pick. And I, I'm really hoping that, again, this is somebody that's going to be impactful 
in a way that goes beyond the crap the crapshoot that is you know your number one pick and then everybody else yeah and now like i said i think it's interesting because you know if i were to grade the orioles draft i'd actually probably put it as a b as well of like it's it was I, I don't think it's a bad draft i just think it's kind of it's boring is the best way to put it um you know i i kind of the writing was all in the, over the wall for Kalser for the under slot i'm actually a little surprised about how under slot Kalser got to he went from being 6.18 to 4.9 mm-hmm. and i said in our last podcast is like at most, it'll go to like 5.1. Like, it won't go anything past a 5.1. And he went to 4.9. Um, and you look at it, and it's like, well, that's only like, you're only 200,000 off, Scott. But like, that's a huge deal. Like, that's a huge amount of money. Um, with, that's basically your number nine pick. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> that's a huge amount of money. So I think it's interesting. You know, Norby, I think, is, you know, a nice pick. I don't think it's anything that I'm like, wow, that was, you know, a steal or anything like that. I think there's more interesting conversations of like who the Orioles decided to overslot for. And the individuals they decided to overslot for was John Rhodes, who was an outfielder out of Kentucky. Um, and again, wasn't super highly rated. Again, he was drafted 76th. And um, I had seen him in most projections being maybe a top 100 prospect. Um, so the over slotted on him, which is surprising to me is the best way to put it. I'm, I'm surprised they had to over slot on him. Um, and I'm also surprised that they felt so strongly for him because, you know, looking at some of the scouting reports, I just don't see it. Um, and then the other one was a catcher out of in high school coming out of Texas, which is Creed Williams. Um, and this one makes a lot more sense to me. I mean, he was committed to TCU. Um, you had to offer him big money to basically walk away from TCU. So instead of giving him $187,000, they gave him a million dollars to come out of it. So, I mean, to put that into perspective, you basically paid him the same amount of money as you did your 65th pick um, and you know, close to what John Rhodes got at $1.3 million. So a million dollars would be around, around that 60 or 70 draft pick. So... That is a lot of money for the 227th pick in your draft. And somebody who's going to be, you know, hopefully ready when your superstar catcher is still playing for you. So I'm kind of interested to see how this worked out because you would think that if the Orioles were doing that, they would just have selected him a little earlier. I almost feel like someone dropped Creed Williams Mm. and just said, we are not going to have enough money to sign you. Someone reached out to Elias and said, hey, this is a guy that's really interesting. You should consider using your overslot money for him. Whether that's the right move or not um, is interesting. But I think the name for me that's extremely interesting is not Norby, but it's Creed Williams. And just kind of just seeing what happens with him and was that the right move? Because in reality, we talked about saving money with Kowser, which was right around you know one point three-ish we'll give it um and in essence a lot of that money went to creed williams um a lot of it so i think that's going to be the story coming out of the the 2021 draft is um was getting a high school catcher in the eighth round really that big of a deal to you scott scott it just shows how little you know about the mlb draft you think that's the story of this draft 
Scott, feast your eyes on number 11 pick Dylan Hyde, a pitcher out of the University of Pittsburgh, <clears throat> uh, Johnstown. What other 11th round pitchers can you think of? Uh, I can think of John Means. Clearly, this is the next John Means. Yeah. How can you sleep on the next John Means? I don't know. Like I said, I, I understand where you're coming from. Se- for second pitcher selected in this draft. I understand, um, you know, where you're coming from that. But like I said, I think, you know, when we come back and look at this and whether this was a successful draft or not, I think it comes back to uh, Creed Williams and basically making that determination of whether or not he was successful. And again, he is a classic Texas farm boy. If you take a picture, look at him. I mean, you can look at some of his stances and stuff like that. Um, he scares me is the best way to describe it. How much DJ Stewart do you see in that stance? A lot, actually. That's what actually I was about to say is like, I look at it and I'm like, it's kind of DJ Stewart-esque. Like, it's not quite as bad, <laughs> but it kind kind of kind of scares me a little bit. So um, to that, I mean, there's really only other thing to, you know, to say to that. And it's, can you take me higher? You should not say that. You no? can say that, but you should not say that. To the third round where I should be. <sighs> Scotty, what I can tell you definitively about this draft yeah. is that there are no Matt Hobgoods. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, there are no Matt Hobgoods. I mean, even Kowser being underslot, Kowser was projected to go right around the top 10. So again... You underslotted him, but you didn't underslot him that much in reality. You got a you got a probably very good player. Yes. And, and the other thing is too, like you look at what Rocker got. Kumar Rocker, um, he got ridiculous money um for what he was supposed to get. I mean, he got basically at the tenth pick what Kalser should have got at the fifth pick. So like, even though he got picked tenth, he in essence was the top five pick um on a monetary basis. So I think that's ultimately going to come to question is like, was underslotting the right strategy for this draft or should the Orioles have stayed on target and just drafted best player on the board and gone from there? Stay on target. It really comes down to, do you trust the organization to have had a well thought out and well executed plan that is going to be impactful for the organization in the future. Because remember, I'm going to trust the NASA guy. Like, honestly, yeah. like I'm going to trust the NASA guy who like every single time he speaks and he explains something, I'm like, wow. Like, like, you know, so much more about baseball and analytics and scouting than I ever can be. And like, I can understand at a surface level. Um, and I actually like feel like we are pretty like somewhat savvy on that aspect. And still I'm like, wow like there are certain people that you meet in your career where you're just like all right that guy's really smart and then there's certain people just like that person's a total idiot um (laughs) and he's wearing a blue tie um but you know you talk to sigma dell and you listen to him talk and you're just like oh wow like even if you're wrong i understand why you thought that might work is the best way to put it when i look at a draft like this i i say to myself you know in the future you know, one of, hopefully some of these guys will be impactful and will know their names and they'll, they'll be household Orioles. You know, they'll be Oriole Hall of Famer someday. That'd be great. But some of these guys are going to be Ryan Flaherty's. Absolutely. Right? Some of these guys are going to be Jonathan Scope. Some of these guys are going to be useful pieces that come up. We have them for a few years and they contribute to meaningful teams that we remember. Right. Absolutely. 
So let's go there. Um, come on, let's let's go there, Jake. Let let's ask. Can we stay? No, you're not getting the Creed reference here. Who are you picking out of this draft that you think is going to be the big contribution? Oh, I I, I think I I you dis- think it's Norby. I disagree with you. Yeah, I think it's I think Norby is the is the steal of this draft. I I, th- I expect you know uh, Colton Kowser will will play meaningful uh, you know innings in a major league capacity. Yep. I, I think uh, Norby will as well. So I actually agree with you that I think Norby is probably potentially more impactful than anybody else is in this draft class. Um, but I do think he's slotted correctly is the best way to put mm-hmm. it. So like, I do think he's a 41st draft pick and it's weird to say that like Norby has a better aspect. Um, I think Norby has a higher upside. Um, and I think he could potentially be bigger, but Colton Kalser has a much higher, um, you know, basically base floor. Like, so I think, you know, Kalser's definitely gonna be a major league baseball starting player, but I think Norby could turn into a Jonathan scope like player. As simple as that. You also thought that about Rio Ruiz. I also did think about that. Um, Norby was also rocking like our Nick Marcakis like goatee like look um, when he visited Baltimore on Friday. Um, I'd take a Nick Marcakis again. You don't, don't. My heart's not ready. About to say, I'd take I'm, a Nick Marcakis or even a Brian. Actually, let's talk about Brian Roberts. You know, he's just, you know, he's dead to me since he put on Yankee Finn stripes. <laughs> <laughs> You just made me. <laughs> All right. So the the Orioles participated in a draft. Yep. We we think that they probably did okay, and that's probably as articulate as anyone can be about the draft. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I I gotta be honest. I don't miss the days when the draft happened, and we thought, what were you thinking? It's been many a times we've been sitting on this podcast watching the draft, and I'm like. I have no idea what they're doing. Again, I understand what they're doing here, whether it works or not. No one knows. No one can predict it. We will know in five years. Um, but let's not let's not blow it out of proportion, just like the trade deadline. <laughs> but if 11th round pick Dylan Hyde is the next person to, to throw a no-hitter hey, for the Orioles, awesome. you heard it here first. Absolutely. Exactly. We, we, we'll be right. All right. Well, uh, with that, let's go ahead and uh, go on over to Fantasy Boss. I'm pretty sure I know what happened here. So I'm looking forward to celebrating uh, this victory uh, from the All-Star Game. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby, you sure do swing. What's up with Gwen Stefani playing here? Well, Scott, I uh, I slipped a couple of dollars to the official scorer at the All-Star game, and I took care of this. What are we talking about here? Like, literally... Uh, Cedric Mullins clicked. Right. There's no question about this. So let's let's back let's back this up. Okay. Okay. Uh, listeners may remember yeah. when we podcasted weekly. Weekly. <laughs> and we put out an episode right before the All-Star break. And, Which was like the first week of July. Like And the category that week was Will Cedric Mullins have a web gem? Uh-huh. Honor system. Uh-huh. Uh, un, 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 which which I will point out. He caught a fly ball from Juan Soto. So again, if we want to talk about natitude, once again, the Orioles beat up on the Nationals. 
or will uh-huh. he have a hit? Right. And Cedric Mullins struck a ball. He struck a ball. It was fielded by an infielder. It, it was touched by an infielder, yes. And it was ruled an error. Correct. And when I watched it live, yes. I was not thinking about Fantasy Boss, and I thought to myself, Oh, that's a hit. There's no way that's not a hit. Right. There's no way if he had fielded that cleanly, right. he would have gotten Cedric Mullins. Correct. No way. Right. However, uh-huh. it was it was ruled an error. An error. Caveat. He did score a run. He did score a run. So we have a hit that was actually ruled an error, scores a run, and also caught a ball from Juan Soto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me just add that up, add that up, add that up. Uh, Gwen Stefani says no. God dang it, girl, Gwen. Doing me wrong. <laughs> just go ahead and date that country boy. All right, so uh, that means Jake clicks um, and uh, on an official scorer's decision. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I knew as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, there's going to be fantasy boss injury. And uh, so Jake will lead the contest seven to five. Uh, so with an asterisk. With a, with a major asterisk. <laughs> uh, if it comes down to one. Uh, let's just say that uh, there is going to be a formal protest to MLB, uh, and it will not be favorable in my kind because they'll know that I'm a Baltimore Orioles podcast. I think at some point they may change that official scoring during the year. There's no we'll have chance. To keep an eye out There's for no it. chance they change the official scoring for an All Star game. But um, yeah, whatever. Um, all right. So, what category are we doing this week? Oh, you get to pick. Oh, uh, I get to pick this week. Um, well, it's like already Wednesday and stuff like that for for what we're doing. Um, who are we playing this weekend? Like, I don't even know who we're playing this weekend. Well, we are currently playing the we're playing Miami the Mar- Marlins. Marlins. Yep, it's a two game series. Okay, that's stupid. Number one, like, why are we doing two game series? Because we don't. Because we have to play nineteen games against all of our other opponents. Okay, uh, we play the the Marlins. Then we go off to Detroit to play the Tigers. Okay. Um. All right, so the Tigers are, I believe... Um, they play in Detroit. You know, not great. Um, better than the Orioles. Um, also in the AL Central. All right, so who wins the series against the Tigers and the Orioles? Really, you're going to give me an up or down? You're going to give A me an up or down. thumbs up, thumbs down? Yeah. All right, the Orioles have been playing pretty good. Yeah. They've been playing pretty pretty entertaining baseball. Pretty, pretty good. They were, they were, they had a moment. Yeah. Tigers. Oh, Okay. So in a three-game series, you're expecting the Tigers to come out. No, it's not a three-game series. Hang on. I'm, I'm, I don't want to do you wrong here. Okay. I don't want to do is it a four-game series? I know they play them uh, up until Sunday. Let me just let me enhance, 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 enhance. enhance, enhance. Yes, Thursday through Sunday, okay, four-game so, series. All right. So it could be a push. It could be a push. So are you going with the Tigers still, or are you going with a tie? I'm going to go Tigers win. All right. I'm going to go with a push. Ooh. And uh, we'll go from there. I'll give you Orioles win or push. All right. I'll go with Orioles win or push. And you can go with Tigers win and we'll see what happens. All right. So let's figure out who owns it this week in Fantasy Boss. uh, And we'll we'll go from there. Um, With that, let's go ahead and do some good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, 
the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started this week. It's got my good, and there was lots to choose from, because again, the Orioles have had a pretty good week. Surprisingly, since the All-Star break, the Orioles have been somewhat competent? Not suck. Not I'll suck. call it not suck. Yeah. Uh, my good is going to go to Matt Harvey. Uh, I absolutely cannot ignore him in this category after beating him up all season. You know, considering retiring him from ugly yep. in the first half. You know, we we talked about the Mattis Award um, for the Bevies. You know, I, and I in general have just been a jerk to him all season. So, As have most of Baltimore fans. So right. So I, I cannot, in good conscience, go through all of that without recognizing the fact that he's put in two consecutive good starts this week. Uh, Matt Harvey was good. Yeah. Uh, my good is going to go to someone else that is kind of in this miscellaneous category. I originally had Boom Boom in here. Mm. Um, but I think we have to give it to Pat Valaika with that two-home run game. Like, come on. It's Pat Valaika in a two-home run game. Like, that is never going to ever happen again in his career. So, Pat Valaika, enjoy the two-home run game. Enjoy winning fantasy bosses. Or enjoy winning the, the good this week. And, and enjoy selling hamburgers out of Minnesota. <laughs> Uh, later this offseason. Does anybody get that reference? No. Did anyone listen to that particular show? All right, my If bad. we had done a nickname audit, then yes, <laughs> because Pat Falaika would have obviously been the Hamburglar. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the bass bandit, but the Hamburglar? Absolutely. Jeez. All right. You just hear the words, you just hear the sound of... <laughs> every single time Pat Falaika came up. Oh, now, going forward, when you see Pat Flake on the field, you can be like, oh, there's the Hamburglar. <laughs> Is he wearing a tie on the That's field? That's right. All right. Stripes are not his color. <laughs> my bad for this week is going to go to my good from the bevies on the first half, mm. Ramon Urias. Uh, Urias. He's had a 23 weighted runs created plus over the last week uh, in 21 at-bats. A 23.8K percentage, and he's done all that with a pretty normal 267 BABIP. Again, getting the at-bats, getting the opportunity to show that he belongs up here in the utility role, if nothing else, and just not making the most of it. Not making the most of it. And, you know, again, it's a pretty low bar. Uh, because, uh, you know, the the points are made up and the games don't matter here in, in the 2021 Orioles. But, man, he's getting the playing time. Come on, dude. Yeah, so I agree with you that it hasn't been great. But I, I do think we need to put this a little bit in perspective. I mean, um, in 47 plate appearances so far for Urias, Urias is posting a 1.0 F4. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right. Offensively, he has struggled um, over the past week and even the past two weeks, in all honesty. Um, But defensively, it's been better than I was expecting. Um, And, like, a part of me got into watching it being like, all right, like, this is a good joke. Like, I can't believe this is actually working. But the more and more you watch it from a positioning and how he throws and stuff like that, there may be something there um, is the best way to put it. If this guy... Gets a few more gloves, I think he's invaluable. And that's kind of my point is, like, even if he's not a great hitter, mm-hmm. um, but he's a, call it a 90 to 100 radio runs created plus and potentially could be a utility infielder, awesome. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have him than Pat Falaika as my utility infielder. And can you imagine if you could trust that guy to play occasional, and I mean occasional, corner outfield? Well, that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. like, yeah, like I said, just kind of filling in every so often. So... 
I don't know if I would classify Urias as like um, a wow at this moment, even with that low sample size of you know, you know, forty-seven plate appearances at one point oh four. But I do think it's probably more important to be looking at the glove than the bat for the next few weeks. And again, I'm not talking about the 2021 Orioles. Agreed. I mean, he may have a role. I, that's exactly what I'm saying. Is on that 2023-24, right. you know, 25 World Series champion. And that's what I'm trying to say is, you know, he's 27 years old. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, so that's what I'm saying is, let's not beat him up too badly for the bat because he's still posting 108 weighted runs plus on the season. Let's keep focusing on like, it was the defense an abnormality or is it actually truly what it is? Because that would be a major shocker to me. There was no way I would have expected that. No, he's not a bum, but he had a bad week. Yes. All right. So uh, my bad for the week is um, what's going to go to John Means. You take that back. I'm sorry, but like it comes to like the numbers we talked about earlier in the show. It's just rust. He's going to get back. He's going to get better. Um, he just needs to get one good game under his belt and just get a feel for it. Like I said, I really liked how he stretched himself out in that second game. Uh, didn't like the three-run homer. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was overall, like I said, a really um, means it's just kind of getting back into the habit of being um, a really good pitcher. So I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, what's your ugly for this week, Jake? <sighs> My ugly, Scott, you know, again, I'm in this existential crisis right now this week. My ugly is the reminder. Mm-hmm. The reminder that the trade bre- deadline brings us. I'm reminded of the fact that the Orioles don't matter. You know, the trade deadline has happened and and we're not, you know, talking about who we might be able to get and how that that player might be able to to get us closer to where we want to go. And we're not even talking about the fact that <clears throat> we have really great trade chips and we can use that and see something exciting that'll help us in this rebuild. We just are not participating. (laughs) We're philosophically not participating in the trade deadline because we're also Rams because we are just not relevant in 2021. And that's a bummer. So my ugly is, is the reminder that, you know, we're in hope. What I hope is the, the uh, bottom of this Valley where, you know, it's it's not a particularly interesting time to be an Orioles fan. Sucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, my ugly, I'm going to stray a little bit from Orioles. I'm going to talk Baltimore sports. I'm going to talk about the ugly, which is you know, Lamar Jackson coming out as positive COVID and Pete Gilbert reporting out saying, yeah, Lamar Jackson's not vaccinated as per reports. Uh, and it's extremely disappointing. And I've seen a bunch of, you know, NFL players start to report back to um, training camps and stuff like that and be like, uh, I don't want to philosophically participate in that process or like, you know, I guess I think that's against my HIPAA for you even to ask whether I'm vaccinated or not. It's just these ridiculous notions. So I'm really hoping that now that Lamar Jackson has um, tested positive twice uh, for COVID, um, one at Thanksgiving time last year and now again, that... um, you know, he comes out as a staunch advocate for the aspect of like, um, you know, COVID's nothing to joke about. You know, people need to be vaccinated. We really need to, you know, get ahead of this. I think we can look at the numbers in terms of the Delta variant um, and just seeing what damage it is doing against a 
um, a population set that um, is either ignoring it, having you know messages portrayed to them in an improper context, um, and to see athletes um, such as that basically take a podium and or take a stand in that given regard is disappointing to me, and it's ugly. Getting paid to play football is the reward for having a functional society. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they do not work in an environment where you can work from home. No. And, and safely distance yourself. And again, it comes back down to, you know, people have said, well, they did it really well last year. Yes, they did it okay last year, but they also had to go through an immense amount of scrutiny and basically making sure that everything was okay. And even then, there were outbreaks at team facilities, hotels, um, in, in, you know, staff were in, infected too. So I, it's just really frustrating of like, why not just do the simple thing and be kind of a model and an advocate? I thought that having the teams forfeit. And oh, I having, thought that was going to guarantee it. And having both teams lose yep. out on pay. I thought that was going to guarantee it. Would absolutely have moved the needle. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not moving it into their arms. Yeah, so. absolutely. Not universally anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, um, why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save? All right. So the one topic I want to talk about was um, a more of a favorable note. Um you know, we talked about games. I actually went to the game on Sunday. I uh, didn't get a chance to go to Saturday's game but for the Jim Palmer bobblehead. I do have one coming to my attention. But I want to say it was really great to watch that game on Saturday, uh, specifically because there was 30,000 people in the stadium. You could feel a difference is the best way to describe it. Like you were listening to the game. And like even when you're going to a baseball game and there's 8,000 or 10,000 people, yeah, it's a baseball game, but it doesn't have that same white noise is the best way to describe it so just listening to the background um seeing and hearing the oil bird kind of walk through the stadium and do the o-r-i-o-l-s chant it just kind of felt like baseball was back in baltimore and i talked about this before when we went to opening day and i'm like it was baseball but i'm not sure if it was truly like baseball and i feel like me watching saturday's game with thirty thousand people in the stands I think that might be the first baseball game that I've seen after COVID where I really felt like this was Baltimore baseball again. So it was good to see that. And it was also kind of a good preview for me of like, oh, people can still do it if you're playing, putting good product out in the field. And like I said, it was a really competitive game on Saturday with the Orioles and Nationals. Um, It was almost like a tease going forward for the future for 2022 and 2023. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and and hey, the good guys won. Good guys won. Team did what they were supposed to. Josh Rinver was upset. It was everything happened. It was a good night. Don't love their cap choices, but no, don't like that, the cap choice. They did everything else. Yeah, fine. and it, and to your point, it felt good. Felt good. All right, that is our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at Birds Eye View Baltimore. Dot com. Bird's Eye View is available to download wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and view this show. We appreciate the feedback, and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, everywhere. But the best way to get us uh, a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal. 
And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fun adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Go get your shots. And let's go ups. What do you say, Scotty? Should we do this again next week? No, I'm in Mexico. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.